You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything. available everywhere you get your podcasts. Monster House presents... It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant, hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Hey there. What follows is an audio version of an interview originally recorded as part of our Monster Talk live streaming series that Karen and I hosted during 2020. As of this posting, we're not currently doing those live shows, but they are archived on YouTube. You can check the show notes for a link to this particular episode. And the live format's definitely something we're going to try to get back to in the future. These episodes do not get the normal editing treatment of a traditional Monster Talk, and because of the variety of issues that happen during live recordings, the audio quality may be wildly varied, and you should assume there will be some not-safe-for-work content, so I'm posting all these as explicit just in case. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting Monster Talk. Your contributions at patreon.com forward slash Monster Talk and your positive reviews on the podcasting platforms and applications that you use to listen Help us reach new listeners and spread the important message that monsters can be a great tool to learn critical thinking. We need critical thinking now more than ever. Monster Talk is hosted by me, Blake Smith, and my co-host, Dr. Karen Stolzno. If you enjoy this show, please check out our deep catalog of fascinating interviews with experts about psychology, sociology, anthropology, folklore, religion, and more. Monster Talk. Yeah, that was yeah. new. Yeah, it was totally different. Yeah. Introduction to this kind of mini series that we've got, uh, we're, we're starting with Monster Talk. Excellent. Be- so I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoldner. I'm we've got a guest Baxter. tonight. <laughs> His name is, <laughs> is Matthew Baxter. And um, yeah, he we've brought him on the show because we're doing a special series at the moment called Debased on a True Story. Right. And yeah. we've got a lot of the entries for this. This is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Sorry, I didn't interrupt. Go ahead. Sorry. No. So, uh, Matt, do you want to do a quick introduction? Sure, sure. My name is Matt Baxter. Um, I've been a uh, a paranormal researcher for uh, close to 30 years now. Um, I uh, have conducted many, many uh, haunted tours uh, in the Denver area um, and have given a lot of uh, different talks on uh, science and the paranormal um, over the years and have been, you know, kind of a science educator in that sense. And uh, one of the things that uh, I've focused on over the years is 
these these movies that uh, like to say they're based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Yep. And coming from this area, you've actually had a lot of experience with some of the lore. Even though this movie is set in Seattle, um, it, a lot of it's actually based on stuff that happened <laughs> in the Denver area. So the movie we're talking about tonight. We're going to be talking about. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Go ahead, Karen. Sorry. Uh, we're going to be talking about the 1980 movie, The Changeling. So not to be confused with Changeling, which was a, was a 2008 uh, movie about the Wineville chicken coop murders with Angelina Jolie. So not that one. We're talking about uh, the, the 1980 uh, movie. and right, The creepy ghost story movie. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So this movie uh, was released March 28th, 1980. Uh, oh, I should mention... This is going to be a spoiler show. If you haven't seen The Changeling, we're going to ruin it for you. So um, mm-hmm. just keep that in mind. So I, I think it's a fantastic movie, but it came out in 1980. What are you doing? You should have taken a look at it by now. <laughs> so. Yeah, good point. All right. This movie was directed by Peter Medak. Um, and I'm going to give a little summary. Okay. So following the tragic death of his wife and daughter, composer John Russell abandons his successful career in the concert scene of New York City and heads to Seattle, Washington to start fresh away from all the reminders of that tragedy. And what could possibly lift him from his depression faster than moving into a long uninhabited mansion as the sole occupant? And before you can say boo, he's experiencing a series of unexplained noises and phenomena that would have any sensible person packed and moved. But despite his grief, Mr. Russell played by the indomitable George C. Scott, is going to get to the bottom of this mystery. He's not, it turns out, a runaway from his problems kind of guy after all. So he's assisted in his investigation by Claire Norman, an agent from the Seattle Historic Society, who also seems more than a little interested in Mr. Russell. As a note, that is actually played by his real-life wife, Trish Vandeveer. Uh, Russell finds out that his house is haunted by the ghost of a child who is apparently living in an attic-level room at one point, but that room has been hidden behind a bookshelf. And in a very complicated plot twist around the classic trope of laying a ghost, the composer and historian team up to find out what happened to the little boy in the attic. And the title of the changeling hints at the nature of the haunting by referring to fairy lore about changelings, which we'll talk about. And this story has murder, intrigue, classic haunting tropes, tragedy, music, horseback riding, politics, Intimidation, automatic writing, self-propelled ghost wheelchairs, apportations, telekinesis, and more. Plus, its cast includes the aforementioned team of George C. Scott and Trish Vandeveer, as well as the venerable Melvin Douglas and character actor John Colicos. It is a delight. I love this movie, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I loved it, too. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I saw it a long time ago and then watched it again recently. And uh, it's just great. Every time you see it, you, you pick up more things that you didn't capture the last time yes it, it is it's it's very much in the tradition of like the haunting uh it's just a really uh a creepy film that increases in tension as it goes along and then has mm-hmm. a very exciting if uh challenging con- conclusions what do you but think today of the film, we've matt? got because <laughs> we've got matt baxter with us yeah what's this got to do with denver well um well first off here let me uh Oh, yeah, let me make you enabled. Oh, no, no, you're enabled. You can do I it. You enabled. can do it. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's the, uh, the the cover um, of the, uh, uh, I would say, either DVD or uh, the poster for The Changeling right here. Um, and uh, it was a very, very fun movie. Um, and again, you know, mm-hmm. Blake had already said it, but we have to have to say it again. We're going to ruin the movie for you. So be prepared. Uh, spoiler, spoiler, spoilers ahead. Um, now, going into this, uh, we, we should probably talk about a couple of things. Um, one being the fact that uh, this is... Ghost child there with you. No, there's no one here. Um, <laughs> this, uh, what we probably want to talk about is what a changeling is uh, in terms of, um, you know, fairies and, and things like that, the folklore. Um, so I don't know if you wanted to say anything about that karen or blake well yeah i don't think this is a changeling this story is about a changeling in the the traditional sense um i I don't think we've actually done an episode on changelings have we blake i think we've talked about them over the years 
Right. We haven't actually done a dedicated episode on changelings, but we have talked about them briefly. They they fit into fairy lore. It's the idea that uh, a, a fairy or fairies will come along and exchange your child or loved one with a substitute. And for years and years, I just thought this was peculiar fairy lore. Like, I just thought it was an odd bit of folklore. Mm-hmm. But... Um, a few years back, I went back and read some of the writings of Martin Luther uh, about this topic and realized after reading that, that what he was really describing sounds very, very much like what happens if you're a parent of an autistic child. The child develops normally up to a certain point, and then suddenly there's changes that happen. And well, they, they might not speak or they right. stop smiling or exactly. they might just appear oh, yeah, to be in their own world. Exactly. And also, it's not just young people. Changeling lore also uh, had bearing on older people, adults. So if someone had a stroke or started suffering dementia, those those kind of changes in their personality behavior could also be attributed to fairies. So in the one sense, it's an explanation but in another darker sense, it was a way that people justified getting rid of these these people, these people who were different than us. So it's it's very scary and creepy in that sense, in yeah, so, more yeah, than a supernatural way. We find bizarre ways to explain things we don't understand. And yeah. uh, <laughs> this was uh, definitely a great example of that. So, Absolutely. Yeah, but- yeah, I wouldn't say in the, the movie, though, that that's a traditional kind of changeling. Uh, no, no, right. And, and the, the way it falls into the movie, and we'll, we'll, I think we'll get to that organically as we go through the plot, but the, uh, yeah. it, 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 it is a, an interesting and clever title in the sense that it does have, and it involves a story about someone being swapped for someone else. So, Absolutely. So, yeah, I think we've got several things going on here. We've got uh, the, the movie itself. Uh, then we have the the folklore that is behind the movie and then we have the facts so exactly i think we want to treat those three different segments well i certainly want to talk about the movie uh, a bit because it is this is a great movie um mm-hmm. regardless of whether it's based on a true story or not this is a fun movie and so many movies these days i think really fall short when it comes to achieving that really good creepiness uh this one on the other <laughs> hand um <laughs> What <laughs> uh, this this one on the other this one on the other hand really does a great job of keeping the creepiness going. Um, so uh, when we we look at things like uh, well well you know the the guy moves into this huge house for one, and it is a a, a very freaky thing because it's one guy. It's one guy in this huge house, and that that really can cause a lot of problems because of all the, the noises that a big house can make when you're by yourself. Um, yes. and so, so he's already starting to experience some of these things. And uh, we have the, the, the trope of the, the red rubber ball. Um, and which is such a, a great one. I mean, we, we've seen it in a lot of movies, but it seemed like mm-hmm. the first really big movie that it happened in was yes, the first wildly. I mean, like this was an extremely successful film and and it really made this a trope worth worth copying. You want to you want to go to a clip? <laughs> well, I will add too that just over the years with all of the uh, investigations that I've done, a lot of places have had that trope. A lot of places like uh, Waverly Hills Sanatorium uh, had this this same idea of oh there's this red rubber ball which just appears out of nowhere and or it might even be used uh as a tool to try and lure ghosts out to to use it as a, a toy to attract ghost children and things like that but it, it's really permeated um ghost hunting lore over the years well it also fits into that the, the thing in horror movies where they subvert what should be fun and innocent imagery into creepy and scary, a, a child's musical toy box, a, a doll, mm-hmm. you know, even the little monkey with the symbols, all those things are not really scary. Nor, well, maybe the monkey's scary, but in general, they're not scary. <laughs> and then they become themselves. terrifying in, in the context of a horror scenario. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. Let's play that video. <laughs> this is the scene from the changeling. Yeah. It was such a great moment. Because that particular ball happened to have been his daughter's. Exactly. Which he left. Well, he didn't leave it behind. Did he? he was in, it, was in a, it was a piece of furniture, and then it just appeared. So it was just confusing and scary. I think he had it in a writing desk or something. 
Yeah. yeah. Again, spoiler wise, he ends up at one point uh, throwing it off a bridge. So he's sure that it's gone. And then it shows up again all wet. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was a really interesting thing to have that ball show up like that. Um, now, uh, the thing is, is, you know, we start to wonder, we, we've seen this in a few other movies. What was kind of the, the first one? And I, I think the, the, the Changeling was the biggest movie to come along to have this happen in it. Um, and then it became a lot more popular. Uh, now, I have a, a little thing I grabbed off of YouTube of a bunch of different uses of the, the ball bouncing down the stairs. And we can kind of uh, talk about that a little bit as it goes. And enjoy the music that accompanies well, it. I, I've got it muted. Oh, yeah. just so <laughs> it was like it was folk music. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, it's very uh, mariachi, yeah. a kind of sort of friendly, yeah. or like yeah. a kids' TV show or something. I don't know. Yeah. So it's not exactly it doesn't exactly go with it. I, I think, but this gives us some. At least yeah, we can talk, talk over this. It. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then for some reason it jumped back, so that's perfect. Okay, here we go. There we go. So it starts off uh, this. Uh, this movie, it pops out of her mouth, which I don't know why. <laughs> but uh, here's The Changeling, uh, 1980. So remember, The Changeling, 1980, um, mm-hmm. was kind of the first big movie to have this in it. And now we're still here, 2015. Curse of Chucky, 2013. The Awakening, 2011. That was a great movie. Wow. So many movies. 2009. 2005. Then we get into a lot of movies that wow, I don't want to pronounce. That. 1966. Looks like it's Italian or something. Or... 1983. Now I'm thinking about the wow. prisoner. But yeah. <laughs> Troll 2, 1990. Wow. Paranormal Activity 4, 2012. Another one I don't want to pronounce, 1973. The Skeptic. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> The Conjuring. Yeah. Yep. So as you can see, there's there's quite a few mm-hmm. uh, of these that that have popped up over the years. Yeah, it's, it's become and, quite a horror trope. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, but then we've got uh, how what you know what, what were some of the good creepy moments in this movie? I mean, one for me is you, you hearing that rhythmic metallic thumping that would just yeah. start. Because so you don't know if it's a chime or, or a pipe or what it is until it's finally explained. Yeah, right. It's especially yeah. creepy when he wakes up at six a.m. and he's crying because he's had a, a nightmare about his wife and his daughter dying, and and then that starts immediately. It's really jarring. But uh, I think one of my favorite bits is just I, as Blake was saying, I love the progression of the film, and it just starts out so gently. Uh, it's it doesn't have jump scares and things like that it's just really gradual in in the uh in in the way it exacerbates but I love the way it starts with him playing the piano one of the keys isn't playing and he ends up leaving the room and then that key plays by itself when he leaves yeah so I I think that's it seemed like that's really fun it's not literally inspired by it but it seemed like heavily influenced by uh the Robert Wise uh, film The Haunting uh, which is based on the story, The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. And a lot of the effects are the psychological, but the use of sound and just showing pictures of the house, scenes of the house and making you dread mm-hmm. further. And then, and then sometimes making you dread, don't go behind there, don't go there, don't. And then he does, and he keeps doing these things. You, no, no, stop, please, no, stop. Well, That's let's, certainly let's a creepy scene when, when he goes yeah. up to the, the child's room. Um, yes. Uh, let, let's talk about the whole lack of jump scares, uh, and it was it was no need for it at all. When he does go upstairs and he's trying to get into that little room, you know, he knocks the, the lock off uh, with the hammer, and then he's slamming his body against the door. He hits it twice, and he pulls back for the third time, and the door just gradually opens all by itself. And you could tell that it was not going to open before as hard as he was hitting it and that was just such an amazing moment to me it was like oh that is creepy um there were a few scenes like that where a door would just open just very gently a creak open and absolutely and, um, yeah it's it's interesting because I mean, in a sense the 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 ghost here uh again it's a spoiler thing but the ghost here is that of a child that was murdered 
and the child seems to be cons- like the child seems to simultaneously have amazing powers but yet to be constrained in its ability to directly communicate it can't just mm-hmm. come out and say here's what's going on please go fix this it's mm-hmm. got to well, like it seems like it's limited in some way it's very interesting it almost seems like it was waiting for him to uh come into the house because what's that quote i guess we'll be coming up to that shortly um, oh yes the, the lady from the historical society i don't know how far along that is in the, the oh just just a few slides away because the next big thing was the seance that was one of the best oh. i think representations of a great seance um now because it it's really well done yeah when he goes up to that room and he finds the wheelchair and and the the uh um the music box and and you know things like that the metal tub um well the you know, music box and the fact that that plays a, a tune that he thought he had just composed yes that was really neat yeah yeah he's a musician Beautiful. it was like the the song itself was haunting him he thought he'd made it up and it was actually an older song yeah it's, it's very cool because it seems like what had happened is is people had come and, and this is all subtext i mean it's not really explicitly stated but people had come and stayed at the place and were being scared away by the hauntings Mm-hmm. But the historical society didn't want people to know that. So they were sort of suppressing it. He comes along and he's been opened up raw because of the death of his wife and child. So maybe mm-hmm. in a sense, even though he's not psychic per se, he seems to be more open and susceptible to the communication from the ghost. Mm-hmm. And he wants to help. He's he's really kind of a, a, a musician and a troubleshooter. So yeah, yeah I think he has an affinity with the child, and yeah. and certainly going through all of his personal objects upstairs, the journal, and the, seeing the wheelchair and his toys. Uh, yeah, I think he really seems to have some kind of link to the the ghost. And, and they do uh, in every it, every horror movie where they do this. It's my favorite part the research phase where they go to the library, and this is before the internet, so they go back and they hit the. Uh, Microfilm and microfish. Ah, oh, so good. I love it. I love the library trip. So we get our back. We thought that was really position. interesting too, because shortly we'll start to get into the folklore and the facts behind the movie. The difference. But yeah. but yeah, we we just realized uh, that in the the movie he goes back and he tries to do some research into the history of the house, uh, and yet in the folklore and the true story, uh, he goes the fellow goes straight to psychics, goes straight to the paranormal. He doesn't go to the library and do research he just immediately turns to talking to psychics right exactly and calls so the, it re- the movie's more skeptical in some ways it is yeah but that's that's what makes a good movie if you've got a good skeptic that poo-poos everything and by the end they're converted to a believer that's a good horror movie right there mm-hmm. um, but if you, if you look at the plot i mean the plot is here we go the plot is a child was murdered because the child was not necessarily healthy and stood to inherit a bunch of money. So mm-hmm. the parent was being left out of the will. So the, the will skipped a generation. But until the child reached maturity, the parent would have been in charge of the, the fortune. And so the parent decides the solution here is get rid of the sick child, replace it with a healthy child. Um, a changeling. A changeling, exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the healthy child grows up to be a senator and is super wealthy and so the plan worked except for this pesky ghost going around trying to get things settled and point out that he's actually been a victim so At the last minute the guy yeah, like, really, really really so the thing is the shocking thing is i you watch this amazing movie this convoluted plot really cool horror i love the i love the pace i love everything about this movie mm-hmm Yet you find out it's allegedly based on a true story. And you have to wonder, how could this possibly be based on a true story? This is a ridiculous story. (laughs) Yet, it is. So explain. loosely based (laughs) on some... Loosely, well, allegedly based on a true story, right? Let's hit just a few more things here. Uh, Let's talk about the fact that I think this is one of the first uh, movies that really showed automatic writing. Uh, yes. And uh, which was a great thing to watch, because not only were you watching this woman scribble and write these things out, but you're hearing this man sort of announce what she's writing as she's doing it. And it created this really dramatic. uh, It's simultaneously dramatic and as close to cool spiritualism sort of stuff as I've ever seen portrayed. 
Oh yeah, yeah. the psychic is in that trance yeah. and she's just kind of staring into the distance and communicating it, with the, the spirit and it's very scary. It, it could have been campy. Yeah. It could have been terrible, but it isn't. It's really well done. So mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And then then we've got the whole EVP scene, uh, which is uh, when George T. Scott's uh, character is listening back to the tape of the seance. And he's hearing the voice of the little boy. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much that was portrayed in movies before this. I can't uh, think of, I mean, this doesn't mean anything, but I can't think of any examples of this before this. And I know, well, I, yeah, sir, I think go ahead. This is really, I think this has really influenced a lot of ghost hunting lore today because people will record uh, a room and ask questions. And then when they play it back, uh, have a subjective interpretation of what they think they heard, which is usually just ambient noise. But I think that that really has uh, driven that theory. I think so. I think so. If you look into the history of EVP, you'll probably see something about uh, Thomas Edison wanting to build some kind of radio to the dead. Which and is there's true. not much. There's not much to that. But in 1959, yeah, even- there was a Swedish artist named Friedrich Jurgensen. Might have been Jurgensen. Uh, who published Probably. a book called Vo- <laughs> Voices from Space about his experiences recording the voices of dead people. And he called his work Audioscopic Research. And then a few years later, Konstantin Rodeve read Jurgensen's so, book. I guess he read it. Rao Dive, Rao Dive voices. It looks like Rao Dive, but I, I, I went around online and, and heard it was pronounced Rodeve. But you know what? Uh, he, he was from Latvia. And my mother-in-law is from Latvia, so we could find out. I'll, I'll have to ask her okay. about that. Okay, cool. Uh, so uh, he, he read Jurgensen's book in 1964 and eventually started doing his own experiments, uh, thousands of them. And mm-hmm. he called the recordings electronic voice phenomena. He's the guy that coined EVP. And well, he, he had two, uh, two phrases for it. He had uh, um, electronic voice projection was one of them, and electronic voice phenomenon was the other one. And they and both it, fit under EVP. Isn't that great? Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, they're very, very smooth. Um, and I think phenomenon sounds creepier. Um, yeah, it but, does. Uh, but but um, was it him that also called it, uh, what, instrumental, uh, what was it, instrument uh, telecommunication? or uh, there was another, There's yeah, another I, name. ITC Trans- yeah, something. Yes, yeah. Instrumental yeah. transcommunication. But that, that uh, could be that Sarah Estep. I think she might have come up with that term. Yeah. But I know, yeah, I mean, they're different terms. He published he published his book, which uh, in, I think, 68, and it became, uh, the English translation was called Breakthrough and came out in 71. But the thing about EVPs is they're very subjective. In, in If you actually listen to the real examples, they, they're things where they're ambiguous and your mind can sort of resolve them into words, maybe. Uh, but in the movies, they're always really clear. What we hear in the Changeling and movies like The Sixth Sense and White Noise are extremely clear and understandable. And, and I would I'd be to be honest, if you were a ghost investigator and you hit something like this, you'd be, yeah, that's what I'm talking oh, about. You yeah, know, <laughs> I mean, like this is the lottery win right here. It's so. yeah, absolutely not the reality with what people find. No, and, and unfortunately. Uh, I've, been in lots of amusing situations where I've uh, seen ghost hunters argue over what was being said and no they said this and no the ghost said that and it, it just proves how subjective it is and, and then some of them will grade the quality of the recordings and say this is a uh, an A grade recording or a C grade but the, I mean there's just no way to to make very, this scientific very, it's just very not gold dress blue dress here but you know <laughs> you know the um the thing about it is it's subjective, but it's, it's still creepy. Uh, you know, it, it, I wish they were clear. That'd be fantastic. I wish there was yeah. that lack of ambiguity in, is really annoying. If in the film, it's very say, fun. Yeah. If the ghost got something to say, speak up. Yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah. Although well, yeah. I think that the trailers for white noise were really super creepy, but the film was a real letdown. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But then we have this lady. Um, what was that? Uh, he was referring to earlier from the historical society yeah she's the head of the historical society yeah i do think that that's one of the best quotes in the film where she refers to the house and says that it doesn't want people and that's why they haven't had anyone rent the house until um this composer comes in and that even then um the the other woman who's been assisting him that she'd pushed that through their lawyers um for, for him to get into the house because no one should be living in the house Right. Yeah. This is Claire. Claire basically gets him into the house real quick. And it seems like she's circumvented the process, which the process would have been, no, you're not allowed to stay there. It's haunted. Uh, also, she seems to be like, like she 
she was isn't clear on what's going on, but she seems like she's working for the senator somehow. Yeah, she was yeah. in communication with the senator, and it just seemed very odd. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm very. I'm very uh, she's, she's suspicious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some kind of link there. But so, do you want to talk any more next? about the film, or do you want to start well, talking about the 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 fact that the folklore and the facts? Yeah, let's get into the folklore a little bit. Um, let's talk about. Okay, here's. Uh, so again, it wasn't. It didn't actually happen in Seattle. The story. Yeah, let's start. We have to move it closer to Denver. Yeah. Yeah, Denver, Denver, Colorado. Uh, the the house was on seventeen thirty nine East Thirteenth Avenue, and it was constructed in eighteen ninety two. Built Beautiful by Henry, house. Yeah, yeah. Henry Treat Rogers uh, was the man who had it built and and uh, moved in. Um, now Russell Hunter is the name of the composer. So the story goes that this Broadway composer was burnt out uh, with uh, the, the hustle and bustle of New York and all the problems. So he came to Denver to get away from it all and uh, moved into this huge mansion by himself in 1969, in, in February of 1969. Um, now, supposedly the rent was $200 a month. And even at that time for a house that big, that was really good. Um, but it's a big house, makes a lot of noises, creaks, and he's freaking out uh, about everything. But he's, he's trying to keep his cool, you know, just wants to concentrate on his music. So after a little while, he keeps hearing the sound of a ball bouncing down the stairs. Um, never sees the ball, just can hear it. He keeps hearing this loud, rhythmic, metallic thump that would happen. Um, you know, it started a little more infrequently, but then got more and more frequent in terms of uh, once once a, a morning, really, it would happen. Um, and uh, he would often hear like voices coming from the fireplace. So he was really starting to get freaked out. Creepy. Now, one day he's rummaging around in this uh, closet and he finds that there's a, a hidden stairway. So he pulls the boards off the wall and everything, and he goes up the stairway. And up at the top of the stairs is a door that's boarded up and locked and everything. And he breaks everything down and gets in the room. And as soon as the door opens, a red rubber ball rolls out and bounces down the stairs. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing. And I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Uh, pretty creepy. Pretty creepy. But he goes in and... Thank you, buddy. He goes in and he finds um, a journal uh, in this trunk that's 100 years old. He finds uh, a uh, music box. There's a big cast iron tub in there. And uh, he finds a really old child's wheelchair all covered in cobwebs. Correct my memory. Is it, this is 69, thereabouts? 69, yes. Okay, so the, that would make the journal 1869? 
Yes. Okay. Before the house was built. Right. Yeah. Before the house was built. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are totally ruining the folklore here. (laughs) Says Um, he had constructed in 1892. (laughs) Oh, yeah. People people that like to believe folklore don't always read everything. So can you just go along with me for (laughs) a minute? Um, So once he kind of uh, discovers this room, the activity in the home really steps up. It ramps up and uh, pictures are falling off of walls and drawers are opening and closing and there's all kinds of stuff going on. So he decides he's going to do some research into this and find out what's going on. So he contacts some psychics. Um, Now, these psychics, they, uh, they, they come over and they do a seance. And what they find out in the seance is that um, there was indeed a, a little boy that lived up in that room. Um, and this was uh, uh, back when the house was first built. Uh, he lived up in that room. And when he turned 18, he was set to inherit um, different figures here. $30 million, $70 million, $300 million, $700 million. So it depends on who you ask. Uh, he was going to inherit a lot of money. Um, all the money. Yeah, all the money in Denver. Um, now, the thing is, is he would have to make it to 18 years old. Uh, to get that money. And the problem was he was sickly and they didn't think he was going to survive. So the family boarded him up into that room and adopted a similar looking child to take his place, the changeling. Um, now, the uh, uh, the guy's really freaked out because now he's got this really angry spirit in his house. What is he going to do? Well, the psychics tell him that the body is buried in South Denver off of South Dahlia Street. And uh, if he can go down there and talk to the people who own the house where, you know, the boy is now buried underneath it um, and let him dig, he'll find the body and he'll find a gold medallion that has the boy's name and his date of birth on it. And he can then take that as proof to the world, tell the child's story and bring some peace to this disturbed spirit. So he does indeed go down to this house. He speaks with the family and explains why he needs to tear up a a closet floor and dig underneath. And they say, please leave. Um, (laughs) As you would. As you would. So after a few weeks, uh, they're getting all kinds of phenomenon in their house suddenly. Things are going crazy. And to, to the point, they call him back up and say, please come dig. So he does. He goes and he, he digs, uh, tears up the floor, digs it, uh, finds the bones, and finds the gold medallion. So now he's got a good friend named William Gray, who's a screenplay writer. They get together. They write up the whole story. They sell it to a Toronto film company. And we have The Changeling starring George C. Scott. And now this poor spirit is at rest. Um, and uh, that's that's basically the folklore behind the story. So the, the folklore was that the boy was just sort of barricaded into the room and, and just they locked it off and locked him away? or, or... Uh, Well, they, they did lock him away, but he was, I mean, ultimately he was murdered um, okay. because he kind of, he was a drain on the family because, you know, they had to keep feeding him and, you know. And, and did they specify and how or he was just starved or he was he was drowned and that's why there was that thumping he was banging okay. on the side of the tub as he was being drowned so that sound would come back every you know early morning um in the in the wee hours of the morning it would come back and and uh uh disturb the resident of the house that, it, that's what always freaked me out when i like looked into this I, because i thought oh based on a true story so i guess there's a few elements that are supposed to be true in the movie no like the movie is allegedly <laughs> completely true. All the every crazy thing is supposed to like really happen, and then exactly. and then well, okay, maybe we can find some testable components because that's what us skeptic movie ruiners like to do. That that is what we do. Let, yeah. let, let me show you where this house was situated really quickly, um, so you can kind of see. Now the house was torn down in the mid seventies. Um, so oh, I didn't even make it to the movie. So no, pretty no. soon after he had allegedly rented the place. Right, right. So you can see on the map here, we got Denver. So mm-hmm. as I kind of zoom in here, you see Cheeseman Park right here. Mm-hmm. Well, it I, might be worth mentioning. I mean, you may have already said this if I missed. the. the uh, he was renting this house so he could do what exactly? He wanted 
to be able to get away from the rat race and just kind of concentrate on his music and not be pressured by, you know, the, the business side of music. So, okay. In other words, he was unemployed. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so, uh, is there, is there evidence that he actually did rent the house? There is no evidence. Uh, and, and it's unfortunate because of the fact that records weren't very well kept at the time. And you would think that there would be like phone records and stuff. There actually aren't. So it's, it's not that he definitely wasn't there. It's there definitely aren't records to show whether he was or wasn't, but the reason he was in Colorado wasn't necessarily to get away from the rat race. It was because his parents owned a hotel in Boulder that uh, he was going to help them run as they were getting up in years. Uh, and that was the real story. But the, the thing is, is uh, supposedly while he was doing that, he wanted a place he could go to just work on his music. And that was this big. That is a little, a little strange, though, that he should be uh, moving to Colorado to, to either live or work with his parents in Boulder, which is still quite some distance from Denver. It really uh, is. It's a nice drive, but it's, it would be inconvenient in the winter. It, I would say that. It would, yeah. It yeah. Absolutely would be. Absolutely. Okay, so here on the edge of Cheeseman Park. Now, as you remember in the movie, it was Chessman Park near Seattle. Uh, which I don't think exists. It might. I don't know. I believe um, that was made up for the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Cheeseman Park is very real. And as we come down here, you see this East 13th Avenue sign right here. This high rise, surprisingly enough, was not there. Um, but this is the the parking lot where the uh, Changeling House sat. Now, as, as wow. we kind of zoom in, you can see that some of the older houses are still around and uh, hanging out here. But this one wiped yeah. out right there in the in the 70s. Um, and aren't there some claims now that there's still ghostly activity in the parking lot? Um, you know, I, I have heard of actually people in the apartment complex here um, still feeling like there are things going on there. But mm-hmm. the problem with that is that Cheeseman Park itself has so many legends and folklore around it that... And it, it would be hard to link? say if there was a ghost, where where would it be from? The Changeling House or Cheeseman Park? It, it, yeah. Does Russell Hunter make any connection or link between the Changeling House and Cheeseman Park? He doesn't. And the reason he doesn't is the Changeling House was built two years after Cheeseman Park stopped being the city cemetery. Okay. Um, so they changed it into a park. And two years later, the Changeling House was built. And then by the time Russell Hunter had rented the house, uh, oddly enough, he didn't have good uh, Wi-Fi um, and a good internet connection <laughs> yeah. to be able to actually look up what had happened in Cheeseman Park. So as far he as just wasn't history, aware of the lore, was not aware of what really uh, happened history. in Cheeseman Park at all. This, and, this in, in a sense, in a real sense, this is like uh, this guy rents a house across the street from the Bates Motel and never mentions the Bates Motel in his story. <laughs> Right, like, right. Like, I mean, like Cheeseman <laughs> Park has such an amazing amount of creepy lore around it. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Yep. You, you want to explain that a little bit, Matthew? Because I know that you've, you've done tours in that area. But yeah, now you can see how big Cheeseman Park is. Um, it's it's a pretty sizable park, and and you see there's a Congress Park over here, and mm-hmm. right here is the Botanic Gardens. Um, this entire area right here was a cemetery, and when I say was, it actually still is. Um, long ago in, in, uh, Denver, um, in, in most cities, uh, back around that time, it was really important to have a beautiful cemetery. It was the kind of the city's crown jewel. So it, it was kind of, uh, one of these things where Denver wanted this land. It was kind of on a nice hill. It was a really beautiful area. You could see all around it. None of these houses were here, obviously. Um, and, uh, it's about two miles away from downtown Denver. So there was not much in between. And it was just this beautiful area. Now, it, it, it actually was a Native American burial ground before. And they always say these kinds of things. Well, you know, a lot of Native Americans didn't have burial grounds. So it's usually a, a load of crap when someone says, oh, it was a, an ancient Indian burial ground. Usually wasn't. In this case, this wasn't a Arapahoe burial ground. And it was sacred. Um, now, when the federal government um, acquired it from the Arapahoe, uh, let me pop back out here for a second. Uh, what had happened was uh, 
there was a stipulation that if they were going to do anything with this land, they could not disturb the Native American bodies that were buried there. And they were buried about six feet down. So anybody that got buried there in the cemetery could only be buried about three feet down. On top of the fact that the soil in this area was bentonite, uh, which when it gets wet, it kind of moves around a lot. So you've got a bunch of skeletons now that are shallow and they're moving around every time it rains or we have a good snow melt. So it was really just a recipe for horror movie, you know, stuff. Um, but uh, is not in the changing at all. Doesn't even factor into it. Now, uh, it's interesting because when things started going awry with this whole Cheeseman Park thing, bodies started surfacing again because of the soil and things like that. Um, and it became a real concern about the health aspect of it. There was a lot of people that were like, this, is, this could spread disease. Tuberculosis was all the rage. All the kids were doing it. Um, so... They, they were really concerned about diseases coming up and things like that. So they, they, we have to move these people and the park or the, the cemetery is falling into disrepair anyway. Let's turn it into a park and get the bodies out. Um, as they were moving the bodies out, there was a problem with the supply of coffins to move, put the bodies into. Because when you're only three feet down, and the ground is kind of, uh, it'll dry out, get wet, dry out, get wet. If you're six feet down, it stays damp all the time. But three feet down, it doesn't necessarily do that. And it starts to get acetic, and it will start eating through things. So it was eating through these coffins. It was eating through the clothes and the flesh. So in a short amount of time, these, these bodies were becoming skeletons very quickly. Um, everything was just getting eaten away. So... Uh, it was a pretty frightening thing for a lot of a lot of people. But it was, the big problem is the coffins were being eaten away. So when they were pulling up these caskets and everything, they were falling apart. So they had to be put into new caskets, new coffins, to be moved to a different cemetery. But the, the uh, Undertaker McGovern was uh, the guy who was uh, in charge of it all. And he's doing his best, but he's running out of coffins. Lois Bitter... <laughs> yeah, he was. Now, there's a lot of folklore about Undertaker McGovern and what an evil person he was. Most of it's not true. Um, it, you know, they really like to portray him as the, the worst guy in the world. But no, it's not true. He really worked hard to get all this done in the time they allotted him. But he's running out of coffins. So he gets a hold of him. And he's like, look, I'm running out of coffins here. And they're like, well, use children's coffins. Just break the bodies in half if you have to. So now he's having to break bodies in half. He's getting, They're like, hey, we'll pay you per coffin. So if you're getting paid twice as much for each body, that's that's the way it has to be. So the city knew, they, the city government knew what was going on. He wasn't being sneaky by doing this. This was part of the deal. Um, so again, he's not evil Undertaker McGovern. So he's going along doing all this. And uh, um, as, as he's doing this, you got people that are grave robbing like crazy because people are uh, in the, the upper class are getting buried with a lot of expensive jewelry and things like that. Some people just need shoes. Um, so there's a lot of grave robbing going on. Um, and the Chinese, they had their own area in there and they had a different sort of ritual that they would only consider the bones to be sacred. And uh, they have the whole thing called the second burial and everything. We won't go into it right now. But did, but, they, did, they, did the government like pass any rules about stop doing that? Like, uh, uh, desist with the deceased? Nope, nope. Okay. <laughs> so so you, you've got all these these uh, Chinese bodies that they're, they're being scraped of everything uh, except for the bones. So they're burying the bones, and then they leave this big pile of um, not bones. Nice. So, so you got all <laughs> these things going on. <laughs> it's, it's so, so nice to talk about. Um, but yeah, so you've got all these things going on, and uh, finally the newspapers get a hold of it. And the, the headline was the work of ghouls. And uh, this is actually the, uh, the, <laughs> the headline here. And, and of course they're, they're really making it sound horrible. So, well, well it kind of is. <laughs> it kind of is. There was a lot of things going on, but we won't say that it was any one person's fault. Yeah. But at this point, you know, there was, there was like 1500 bodies, I think, you know, 15,000 bodies, I think, in, in the whole area, because it's a huge cemetery. Um, and they were not done getting everybody out when this headline came out. And the city government said, boom, we're done. Everybody out of the pool. You know, 
we're sealing it up right where it is. So there's still two to 5,000 bodies still there today. And, and a lot of people question me about that. Oh, are you sure the bodies are still there? Um, actually, I am. Uh, and the reason I am is that there I am cleaning off a humerus uh, from one of the uh, skeletons that were pulled up. Um, did some work with the uh, human identification lab uh, at Metro State University, and we reconstructed uh, five skeletons that uh, we pulled up. And uh, it was a very interesting day getting to really hang out with the dead people at Cheeseman Park. Um, it was a, a, a stunning experience, to say the very least. Um, yeah, with, with this history, it's just astonishing that it wasn't connected to the changeling story at all. Just these two phenomena right next to each other. Absolutely. Well, I mean, if you've got a kid like haunting you, you don't need to go across the street to find the rest of the ghosts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. So they, they totally missed all of the, the amazing things that have gone on at the, at the uh, Cheeseman Park. So, so we've got problems here, though, when we talk about this folklore. Um, one, like I said, there's no record of Russell Hunter living at the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that doesn't mean necessarily that he wasn't there, but that's a problem. Um, the inheritance size, whether it's 30 million or 700 million, really no one in Denver had that kind of money at that time. Um, and, you know, it, it would have been well known, you know, at, at this point, it would have been well, really well known. Well, what about the, the kid? Was there any kind of record of a child ever being in the home of, um, Henry Treat Rogers certificate, or death certificate. Yep. Well, Henry any, Rogers, any other family? With Henry Treat Rogers had no children, um, no children at all. He had uh, a, a niece and a nephew that stayed with him for a while. They all they they had no sicknesses. Uh, they didn't live with him, you know, their whole lives. Just uh, stayed there a little while, and uh, they weren't seemingly replaced by uh, any body snatchers of any kind. Um, so that that doesn't fit, and that kind of blows a hole in the whole thing right there. Um, it does. And is there any other kind of evidence like the journal? Did that ever surface? The journal never surfaced. Uh, and, and, and the thing is, is, you know, you guys brought it up before, you know, when the house was built, doesn't match up with a hundred year journal um, that would have been there. 70, 80 40, years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 40 years before um, this guy looking. Oh, up yes. My- yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but uh, so it, it's just, you know, it just doesn't seem like it, but you know, on the other side, when they tore this place down in the 70s, uh, it was interesting because um, they say that as, uh, you know, this bulldozer is knocking down one of the walls, that the wall exploded and killed the uh, the bulldozer driver. Yeah. Um, other reports say the entire house exploded. Uh, other reports say that the house imploded, like at the end of Poltergeist. Um, <laughs> you, you should mention, by the way, you... Cheeseman Park and the Poltergeist. Cheeseman Park, Park, actually, yeah, it was one of the places that inspired the movie Poltergeist, yeah. uh, which, you know, we may be talking about in another episode of Debased on a True Story. It can um, happen. <laughs> uh, so it's, uh, you know, when you go back and look, there's no records. There of- isn't, right, exactly. There, there's all kinds of interesting records around uh, construction and destruction uh, stuff happening. So when a, a house falls onto a bulldozer operator that makes the newspapers. It really does, but it didn't this time. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like that at all. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So it, uh, it, it's a bummer, you know, I mean, when we go back though, we haven't been able to find any blueprints or plans for the house. So we don't know. Maybe there was a hidden staircase in there, you know, right. maybe this room did exist. Maybe Russell Hunter actually did stay in the house and he found these things up in that attic. We don't know for sure. The, the, the facts sort of point away from that being true, but we don't know for certain that that, yeah. that he wasn't it's, there because records were poorly kept. So we don't know if, if he stayed there or not. So it's just so interesting that neighbors never came forward and said anything. Uh, I mean, it seems like anecdotally, if you, you go and read the history boards and chat rooms and things like that, where you know, forums where people have spoken about the movie, it seems like uh, quite a few people who knew um, uh, Russell Hunter um, said that he was known for embellishing his story and known for embellishing this this particular story. Um, but yeah, you'd think that, that neighbours or someone would have come forward and, and said something over the years, and it's just been exactly. silent. Exactly. Yeah. So th- briefly, except that we don't, we can't prove he stayed there. And we can't prove that there was ever a child. 
because there doesn't seem to be any evidence of that. And we can't prove that there was um, an inheritance. Or... There was an inheritance or a murder or a body found to placate a ghost. Um, and why would that ghost be any more angry than all the ghosts that supposedly were right, right across the street? We got no will. We've got... Oh, but apparently Rogers did own land in South Denver. Yeah, so um, there's that. I mean, well. we so, should probably but... do a chart about things that claimed and things that hold yeah. up and what doesn't. <laughs> yeah. But it seems like basically nothing holds up, um, except that there was another piece of property owned by him. But mm-hmm. do not let you let that keep you from watching this movie. No, no, it's a fantastic movie. It's fun. It's creepy. It's scary. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Whatever he was smoking to come up with this stuff, I, I, I'm happy he did. No, it's good stuff. Yeah. It's a really good movie. Isn't there one more uh, theory that he based, uh, the, that Russell Hunter based the story on that of a, a senator, a Colorado senator? Oh, yeah. Was it who was around? I think so. Yeah. And the, the timing didn't seem right on that. Yeah, that one didn't match up either. I mean, it yeah. might have been a, a source of some inspiration. Um and that, you know, and we got to kind of split hairs there a little bit, too. You know, we talk about based on a true story. Um, what do they really mean when they say that? Are they talking, you know, that uh, some of some some little fact in all of this inspired me to write this fiction? Um, or, you know, what are, what are they actually saying, think, when they're saying based on a true story? Yeah, I think the, the claim is that he based the story on the Phipps family and they silenced him. <laughs> so we had to change all of the details. Well, he did a terrible job of being silent. <laughs> <laughs> he did but but i mean like he was um i'm just gonna say ballsy in his approach i mean like he just made a lot of straight up oh this happened and this happened and this happened and it didn't seem like much of the media really pushed back on that uh, you you do eventually get some really cool we'll put some links to that in the show notes the uh, uh you get some interesting sort of debunkings from uh some local denver groups but but that's much later that's like in the 90s i think so yeah, uh, it, it it gets a good solid decade of just running with it. So, yeah, yeah, it really does, it really does. And uh, I, you know, I'm kind of glad because it it was a lot of fun. And um, you know, we can sit here and tear it apart, but uh, uh, you know, well, it's, and it's let's talk about that. Things. I mean, like the the point of this this series is not necessarily to to tear things apart, but it is there's this concept that happens in, in the movie industry and marketing that if we say it's based on a true story, it gets more play with audiences because it's, it's more scary because they can imagine it really happened. Mm-hmm. This one seemed a little like even, I mean, even for that kind of thing, it seems a little over the top with what they're claiming. Uh, and as we go through some of these movies in the series, uh, some of them are much more, based on things that might have happened and some of them are are wildly divergent from the source material but maybe the source material is true so we're going to get an interesting spectrum of, of stuff to work with on this this would be a lot of fun i think yeah, yeah I, I think and, so uh, do you have any questions from the audience that i think we've been following the chat there was room something today. about socks i do <laughs> want to state um i am in my socks yes um but uh, I, I do want to say too that uh, there was no death in Russell Hunter's family with a wife and daughter or anything like that. That that didn't happen. So, no, yeah. there's, there's been a lot of fun chat going on, but I don't, I'm not seeing a lot of stories or, or questions. <laughs> try again. I'm not seeing a lot of questions directed at us, but they are having a fun time watching and hanging out, which I love. That that's great. So. Yeah. All right. So yeah, it's just a, a shame that uh, yeah, there were ne- never any artifacts like the the music box and the journal. I think that would have been really fascinating and interesting. He didn't fabricate anything like that, like create something himself to to bolster and support his story. Absolutely, you know, and it's fun because you know with the Cheeseman Park, uh, you know, bodies that uh, um, I had uh, had the opportunity to work with, um, there were lots of artifacts other than the the bodies. There was uh, lots of uh, casket hardware. There were combs and buttons and, and different things that survived, uh, you know, made out of made out of bone or ivory and things like that. Uh, so there, there were artifacts there, but nothing from the, you know, changeling story. So, <laughs> so which story do you think is more famous than the, the changeling story or, story or the Cheeseman Park stories? At this point, because of the internet, I think the Cheeseman story uh, has really gained a lot because of the interest in uh, paranormal reality TV. 
Um, the, the story is so in-depth and they've really had a good opportunity to malign a lot of people and create, you know, uh, you know, villains and heroes and, and everything throughout it that uh, it really gained a lot of steam and uh, the changeling kind of got forgotten along the way. And, you know, I'll often bring up the changeling and people will be like, never heard of it. You know, not even the Angelina Jolie one. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, maybe justified. I don't know. I haven't seen it. <laughs> but <laughs> it holds up well. I mean, I, I, I put it up in like my top, probably my top five ghost movies. I mean, me too. Wow. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a good thing for you, Blake. It is. I've seen a lot, but it's a goodie. It's a real good. And partly because a lot of what it does is it doesn't necessarily show you, it hints at things. And so you get to use your imagination. And I don't know about you, but my imagination is really vivid. Um, <laughs> No, Russell Hunter passed away in uh, August 1996. Uh, so he's no longer a composer. Now he's a decomposer. <laughs> Did he leave behind any family, I wonder, and, and anyone who yeah, I kept know. up his stories? I, I never saw in any of the newspaper articles, I never saw anything about him being like having a family. So maybe he does. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Uh but, uh, but there are a few other haunted houses or supposedly haunted houses in that area too, aren't there? I mean, aside from the Changeling House and uh, from Cheeseman Park, there are a number of other places which are... The, the Croke-Patterson Mansion. Croke Mansion is another very famous one. Um, and uh, there, there are a few others uh, in the area, but uh, Croke-Patterson Mansion is, is probably one of the big ones. Um, and that one's got a great, great story, a lot of stories behind it it's like everyone that that lived there throughout the uh, history um or the time when it was a law office or the time it was a dance uh um nightclub um you know all these these crazy different things it was a restaurant for a while and um every in every sort of iteration of this place it has creepy stories to go with it and uh it's 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 a fun one and i've spent many nights in that place doing investigations and there's there's no way you can't be creeped out by the place um it's remarkable so what we'll to talk That's about a strange one place and then the botanical gardens as well they're reputedly haunted too botanic gardens is uh yeah it's it's part of the uh same botanic. yeah i, I think it, it kind of goes by both names you know yeah. botanical botanic uh, but uh it's uh it's part of that same cemetery and uh it was just a few years ago they un- unveiled quite a few bodies as they were building the new uh parking lot there um <laughs> great hey yeah. so you know when they were actually originally converting it from a cemetery to a park and they were dealing with all those bodies was that considered part of a the a big denver ghoul rush <laughs> <laughs> just one pun right at the end i just a little and you take that all your, all your drinking right there yeah. <laughs> all right are we ready for our exciting conclusion well, I, you know, um, I want to thank you guys for uh, letting me be a part of this. Um, Thanks now, for coming on the show. You really know a lot about these stories, and it was really cool to talk to you. Well, I, I appreciate it, and I, I do want everyone to know that um, I, I really want to push the whole idea of uh, going and, and becoming a patron uh, for their uh, Patreon page. And um, I, I am you. not involved in that in any sense. No, no, no. I, I completely unbiased. And uh, yeah, well, also, I, I actually don't get any of that whatsoever. That's uh, that's something that supports the monster talk itself. And um, so I just, but I'm I'm a big believer in monster talk myself. So yeah, yeah we're we real. Should, so. We should also thank everyone for watching this or listening, depending on where you're you're coming across this. And yes. certainly, if you're watching through YouTube, if you can. Uh, subscribe to our channel That'd and great. thumbs up for this video yeah. and yeah. Um, like and share it. YouTube algorithm. We've got uh, close to 20 of these we're looking at doing, so this should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks Lots so. of fodder. All right. Okay. Well, so, thanks for joining us. Good night. Good morning. So <laughs> Good night. And uh, I, I, look for, I look forward to the next time. Monster Dog. You've been listening to a podcast version of Monster Talk Live, a special feature that we recorded during 2020. Links to the video version of these episodes are in the show notes. Please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, and we'll work to continue to provide good content there, including more streaming events in the future. Monster Talk is a listener-supported program, and your subscription at patreon.com forward slash monster talk sustains us during these difficult times. Thank you for your support and for your positive reviews. I'm Blake Smith. 
And along with my co-host, Karen Stolzno, we ask you to join us in being the voice of reason and science in a world that's perilous with nonsense, superstition, and dangerous misinformation. Shine your lights, everyone. Even a flickering candle can be seen for miles in the darkness. And together, we are stronger. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you so much for listening.